Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. And Raja Bell. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, baby. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. Raja's out, so we got our guy David Sampson in here joining us. Thanks for uh, filling in. I'm telling you, Raja's going to get Wally pipped. He doesn't watch out. 6-5 replaced by 5-5, and I like it. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, we're going to have Raja back on Wednesday for sure. I know we've been kind of waiting for him to get to some family stuff, so excited to get him back. But I think it is the perfect time to have you in here, David, because the MLB All-Star rosters were announced. That's your area of expertise. Long-time career with the Marlins, and now you're our baseball analyst here at CBS Sports HQ. So the rosters came out, and you know some of the highlights were Freddie Freeman was the top vote-getter in the National League at first base. You had Jose Altuve was the top vote-getter uh, in the American League. Wilson, Wilson Contreras getting his first All-Star game, mm-hmm. which was, I don't know if you saw the video that went viral of him when he found out, a guy who toiled in the minors for seven and a half years, uh, finally gets this, you know, career achievement, which is really cool to see him. He feigning so surprise, amazing. right? Yeah, yeah. Feigning but surprise. I, I don't think he was <laughs> feigning the emotion, though. I'm happy for him. He deserves it. You know, the votes come out. There was some, did you see Matt Kemp get told in the dugout by Dave Roberts? Hey, you're an all-star. You're starting. And he said, Oh my God, that's unbelievable. Of course he knew. <laughs> right. The update had come out 24 hours earlier. No right. one was going to catch him. Right. But it is, it is one of those moments. It's a, it's a career milestone. Like for a lot of these guys, I mean, some of the expectations guys that are superstars of Bryce Harper, they're like, yeah, been there, done that. But was there ever a guy on your team? That was like, that was stood out more than others because of, like, similar to a Contreras, a guy who, you know, had worked so hard, had kind of been a guy that had just kind of pushed through and been through a lot of adversity and got there. Is there a favorite story of yours? Yeah. Every year I think about Dan Ugla. Dan Ugla was a Rule 5 pick. He was a guy who really had no baseball career. And we plucked him out. Rule 5 in baseball means you can take him and he's never been in the major leagues and you only get to keep him if he stays on your major league roster all year long. So we needed a second baseman. We bring in this guy who we were told he can hit, and uh, that's about all we were told. He walks in, and he ends up becoming an all-star. Now, of course, he made the most errors in the history of the all-star game when we when it was played at Shea Stadium or City Field. But Dan Ugla, I remember him thinking to himself, this is it. I did it. And then he realized, well, wait a minute. Once I get a long-term contract that's guaranteed and huge, then I really did it. And he did get that from Atlanta. All right, so I have an opinion, and I want you to tell me if you think I'm crazy. Okay. I think Because of the opinion or in general? Uh, In general. Okay. Like, yeah, you can do both. Because <laughs> I know you probably already think I am crazy. But because of the opinion. I think all-star games are dead. And I'm talking about baseball. I'm talking about the Pro Bowl. I'm talking about the NBA. Maybe – I don't even – I haven't even watched hockey. Like, I, But I feel like – Skills challenges are what are replacing all-star games. Like, do you, do you feel like the, the Major League Baseball, the all-star game has that same cachet that it had 15 or 20 years ago? I do. I think it's you even do. bigger. Here's why we hosted it in Miami last year and it took two to three years of preparation and the entire day and week went by in, in just a poof. It's no longer just an all-star game. It's no longer just a home run derby, which we should talk about because that's just amazing. You're talking about you have a futures game where the fans get a chance to see upcoming players who they've never heard of. And you do so many things in the community locally that people don't think about outside of their hometown. We went around Miami, Broward, Palm Beach all year last year, and we were doing millions of dollars worth of community efforts through MLB, with MLB, with their money, with our money, combining to make a difference. So the All-Star Game comes to Miami, but right now there's kids playing on fields that we redid, and they're still playing. Right now there are there's an airport lounge for military veterans at MIA that is still in existence. So it's an entire event now as opposed to just a game. If you're talking about just the game that's itself. That's what I say because you gave me all this great stuff. Well, but and that's important true. stuff. Of course. If you're talking just the game, I was upset when they took away home field advantage. As a result, I want the game to matter. I want it to count. People didn't like that, and I loved it because it gave the players an edge. Last night – Dave Roberts was interviewed, L.A. Dodgers manager, saying, hey, what are you going to do? Does it really matter? And he said, it's great to be all-star, but of course, it's just an exhibition. And to me, the NBA is an exhibition. The Pro Bowl is an absolute joke because no one's hitting. It looks like Pony League. But baseball used to matter, and that made a difference to me. I So that has a lot to do with it because I think the money is so big now, especially in football. The guys are like, why would I risk injury? And their contracts aren't guaranteed. Exactly. Uh 
I, the only way I think any of these, and I, I agree with you, I wish they would do the home field to play for that, but I think the only way you really get the most effort out of anybody is put real money on the line. Like say, hey, the winning, you know, the winning team gets five million, the losers get zero, and then split it up, divvy it up between the players. Now, will that happen? Probably not. It would, you know, but I feel like that's the only thing that guys would actually find meaningful. NBA All Star Game, same thing. Like they don't. They don't care. Like Chuck and duck. Yeah, exactly. They're just going out there, you know, putting up big, you know, big numbers, getting their stats, putting on a show. Um, but when you talk about the old days, like, let me look at the 98 roster because it feels so much bigger when you look at some of the superstar names, like Hall of Famers. Now, of course, we have the benefit of hindsight. I was just say, Danny, you're looking at this yes. 20 years but later. It does, but even during the time, like, you had Bonds, McGuire, like superstar power to tune into. Now you could counter and say, "Hey, we got Bryce Harper." That was a lot of pharmaceuticals on that list. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> so then, I it was mean, like a Walgreens. The other league, like you've got still <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr., A. Rod. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> We're still going on the pharmaceuticals there when you look at that list. Um, but doesn't it feel a little bit different, like now? Or do you legitimately think in twenty years we'll look back at this game, we'll say, "Well, there's the laundry Hall of Fame." We will. We Absolutely. Uh, If you look at the list of all-stars this year, there's some great players, and they're clean. Yeah. And that makes a difference. But 20 years from now, we'll look back. You see a guy like Ozzie Albies. This guy has a chance to absolutely be a Hall of Famer. And so I I think that it's very dangerous when we in sports go back and look in the past and sort of pine for those moments Mm -hmm. because we need to be present and realize – 20 years ago, we were looking back at the 78 All-Star game and saying, wow, those were some players. So when when we just put up the roster, was there any snub, any, anybody that you were like, man, this guy got robbed? Was there one that stood out to you? I'm thinking about right now the Seattle Mariners. They've had such a great season so far. James Paxton not being an All-Star, explain that to me. Mm-hmm. And Blake Snell not being an All-Star, but the problem is he plays for the Tampa Bay Lowly Rays. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? And I loved what Chris Archer did here. He goes public. He tweets. It's so funny right now. The players have this platform yeah. they never had like you have right. and I do. And But he did it, Chris Archer. He's trying to be a good teammate, but he's blaming the system and that's very interesting. No player's gone public calling out how players are voting for their brethren. What's the problem with the system? Like, where, how would you fix it? Because we fixed all of baseball last year. What's the best way to determine the all-star roster? Because I, I get it. You want to include the fans. But I think it is the dumbest way to determine. Executives. I think it should be 1%. It should be executives. Here's why. Players, I've been in clubhouses. I've been in the food room when other games are on. Players are watching highlights on SportsCenter or now maybe CBS Sports HQ. And what they're watching for, hey, my friend just hit a home run or, hey, we're going to face this guy. Maybe they're doing that. They're not evaluating who's having the best season. When you're in the National League, our guys weren't focused on Blake Snell and what he was doing for the Rays. So players, they have their own thing. They're worrying about their contract. They're worrying about their health. Why are players getting a vote that is purely union-driven? Commissioner's office, why are they getting votes? I don't know. They're not paying attention. They're looking at rules and regulations. There's not baseball guys there. They claim there are baseball guys there. I guess this will be controversial. But the fact of the matter is they're not baseball guys. They're former fire baseball guys. (laughs) Current executives should be able to choose teams. You talk about the players sitting around the clubhouse. I remember so vividly when the Pro Bowl uh, ballots were going around the, the club or the locker room in football, and guys would literally be going around. It was basically a popularity contest, but there was also a petition for their boys. Like guys would be like, "Hey, that was my guy. I played back with him at Florida State. Like he's a good dude. You got to get him in there. Let's put him in there this year." And you and were willing was, to do it, right? Oh yeah, everybody, because you're like looking out for your buddy. Like you're looking out for rosters. They might. Then it was even talked about, like, "Hey." He's going to be a free agent this year. Like, he could use that. Let's help him out. And then there were other guys that guys didn't like personally. And they're like, man, screw that guy. Let's stop putting him in. Let's nobody vote for him because, you know, and sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't because sometimes there were guys that were aging out and getting older and they got in because of reputation. So it's – but for the players, like, I do feel like they should just really limit – because I do feel like the players matter, but just limit the percentage of the the weight that it holds because let them feel like they're doing something – but I do. I think the executives actually would be a good way. To They're watching every team. They're paying attention because of trades. They're paying attention everywhere. You could also have scouts do it, except in my experience, scouts do a little bit what players do. Right. They're very loyal to their, their guys. own, to their guys, <laughs> yeah. which is why having presidents, GMs do it. They're the ones who are focused on a daily, daily basis. What portion would you give writers, analysts, broadcasters? 
Because I do think those are last the- year yeah. zero, this year <laughs> ninety three. <laughs> but, but in all honesty, but like we do study the game. You watch a lot of baseball. Like you're paying attention more so than a lot of without emotion. Right, exactly. Paying attention without emotion. Right. And you should, as executives, you don't want to be able to vote for your own guys. As a media person, you can vote for anyone. The question is, why does there have to be an all-star from every team? Right. If they're, if they're not good enough to have a guy, then leave them out. I totally agree. Here's the purpose. The reason is ratings. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is engage every single market. And for me, we tried to do that with the final vote ballot where you get five people from each league and there's gets to be, but Giancarlo Stan on a final ballot, I think we should talk about. I don't really understand. Right. I mean, he should be an all-star to yeah. start with, but Max Muncie of the Dodgers should, should be in there as well for a great first half. But for me, I just think about why Every team, the Reds have three All-Stars. Those are three deserving players. It's just too many. Mm-hmm. Sinshu Chu, he's a good season, but they had to get a Ranger in. It just doesn't make sense to me, and it ends up costing really good players an opportunity to showcase. But you're going to see a lot of replacements in the next week and a half because players don't really want the All-Star game. They want the break. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they definitely do. They like that exercise, especially that grind, the baseball. It's a as well. grind. Games. So we have the All-Star game, and I think – Right now is about the time, and look, it's been talked about a long time. There's been a lot of speculation about Manny Machado, but the trade deadline will become, I believe, the focal point in the next couple of weeks as we get closer and closer. So what do you think, like how does the evaluation and the trade talks playing out with the Orioles and the teams that are reportedly, you know, their best matches to right. Manny Machado. Like, what are those conversations like right now? So here's how it starts. There's a big board. It's a whiteboard. Maybe now it's a computer screen with all the analytic guys. But you say to yourself, okay, M- Manny Machado, wait a minute. The GM walks in the room and says, we need to talk to the owner. Because if you're trading Machado, that's coming from the top. The owner has to approve that trade before you even start evaluating. Then the baseball guys go out and they line up each trade. And then money. It's about the owner approving, then it's about money. How many teams are taking on all of Machado? Well, we're not going to trade Machado without a team taking on every penny. Then the baseball guys go to the ownership and the GM and say, and to the president and say, listen, we have the best trade with the Dodgers. They won't take on the money because of their luxury tax issues, but we have a chance to get the best players back. Then the owner has to decide which matters more. Do I want to save the whole money from the contract or do I want to try to get the best players back? So you line up all the trades. The categories are money, quality of players, and total team control that you're getting back in terms of the players you're getting and how long you can keep them. And then remembering that you're going to lose Machado anyway. So they're evaluating that way. Does Machado have any say? A 1%, 2%, or is it zero? Like he's it's, not even – What's less than zero? <laughs> what's the percentage so not even that's considered. less than zero? Right. So so that kind of like I want to get into a little bit of the NBA stuff because Kawhi Leonard right now, he wants out. There's a content, very contentious relationship between him and the entire Spurs organization it seems because it's clearly there with Popovich, the medical staff, and even some of the other players on the roster as they went to him last season were like, hey, we want you to play. And he's like, no, I'm going to shut it down. Did that what really about- happen that way? Yeah, so we it, know for sure um, that he said because you've been in a clubhouse. I I've been Manu in a clubhouse. Came out and said it. I I believe, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that it was absolutely like a hundred percent locked in. But there, there have been some pretty good reports that the came old out. smoke and fire situation. Yeah, but we've both been in the game, and sometimes there's media reports that end true. up looking really true. Everyone's talking about it, and you're on the inside thinking that's complete crap. It didn't happen that way at all. So I just caution. Did Leonard actually do that? So are, are you buying into the – because I, I don't buy at all that the Spurs are going to say you can't go to the Lakers. I think that's strictly a negotiating ploy, and I think they're just trying to send a message to the Lakers. Hey, if you want – you're going to have to give us – you know, you're going to have to back up the truck and do it. Do you think – what about in that situation where, like you said, Manny has zero say? Obviously, in this one, Kawhi has a lot more say in wanting out, wanting a trade. So is Does there, he have a no-trade clause? Uh, I don't believe so. Right. right. So what, what exactly – Giancarlo Stanton had all the leverage in the world because we stupidly gave him a no-trade clause. If a player does not have a no-trade clause, they have this much say. They can complain, whine, moan, bitch in the press, and in the front office, we're like this. Ooh, we don't care. We don't listen. So, Leonard, why are we giving him leverage? 
Right. If we want to move him, we're going to move him. He says, I want the Lakers. I don't care who you want. Now, if he's restricted, he can't be traded. He has a no trade clause. Then that power goes to the player. So there have, again, rumors that he would potentially sit out this year, that he's that disgruntled that he would say That's his only point of leverage is if he says, you know, I'm going to withhold my services. Is he getting paid this year? Well, he would if he would he if he played. Yes, would he, he would is it more not. than a million dollars? Yeah, significant money. Okay, I think it's eighteen million. I think he's supposed eighteen to million. Yeah, we both knew the answer to that. <laughs> Leonard's not sitting out. He's not gonna. He's he, when you're a basketball player, you have a chance or anybody to make eighteen million dollars. You're not sitting out. It's just people threaten that all the time. Players do, and again, we in the front office, we completely ignore it. It's almost like players striking. Yeah. And we could talk about collective bargaining in future years because right now in baseball there's no issue. But players saying, oh, yeah, we'll sit out, no problem. Believe me, when they're in those union meetings and you would know, there's a lot of problems with sitting out. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, when you talk about the player interaction, is there any – have you ever had instances – because there was the, uh, the report out about Devin Booker and he went you know, with the Suns and he was ticked off that his boy Tyler Ulis got cut and he was like, all right, I want to stay. You know, I want him to stay. He was mad about it. And then, of course, he signs this huge deal – uh, for $158 million. Did you ever have players come to you and express their opinion about a friend because they had a relationship like, hey, can we keep him around or can we do anything because of that? Sure, all the time when we traded. How much did you listen to it? Zero? Zero. There was never any clubhouse chemistry that you were like, hey, let's keep a guy because he's good for. Stan's best friend was AJ Ramos on our team and we traded Ramos during the season to the Mets. We went up to Stan. You didn't, you didn't ask him beforehand nothing. Would you, did we the... ask him? <laughs> what, what, I don't even understand what you're saying. <laughs> so, like, okay. sir, would you mind if we traded one of your teammates so I know you like hanging out with on the road because he's going to be a free agent and we've got younger, cheaper bullpen arms and we're going to trade him before he breaks down? Would you mind if we did that? Are you asking if that's Never a question? Have. See, I'm a little bitter about this personally <laughs> because the last team I was on, the Denver Broncos, I was like best friends with Jake Plummer. He was the starter. I was the backup. I felt like I played the perfect role as the backup because I would help him from a from a playbook standpoint. I was an extra set of eyes on the sideline. But then also from the emotional standpoint, like backing him up, like supporting him. We hung out all the time. Like he was in my wedding. And Jake was pretty ticked when they cut me, but I, they, they, he even voiced me said, Hey, you know, I want my guy. Like he's helped me a tremendous amount the last couple of years. And the Broncos were like, Nope, we're moving on. We're going to go over the guy who's a quarter of the cap out. You're like, it was going to save them a bunch of money to go younger. So that's why I'm a little bitter about it. Give Sorry. those players, listen to those players, man. Listen to them. Cause Hold then on. Jake only got a couple I'm more years. I'm tearing. Hold on. Right. Do you have a tissue? Oh, here we go. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to you have to see it. All right. So we talked about the home run derby before. It's, it's basically it's equivalent. It's the dunk contest, right? Which another is a kind of dying breed in the, uh, you know, in the pantheon of skills challenges. They need something to infuse it. Maybe they need this guy uh, from You Have to See It. You have to see it. So it's all about what have you seen before and what you haven't seen. That one's pretty unique. Is that a 10 foot hoop? It is 10 foot hoop, but the shot, the fact that he banks it in, times it perfectly, because we've all seen the throw it to yourself, bounce it up, catch it. But the fact that he actually made the basket and still was able to do that, that's pretty filthy. Like, that's pretty sick. I've done that in my basement. I used to imitate James Worthy on a three-foot hoop, palming I say, a little Nerf ball. I thought you were going to say the one, the little rim that you put up above your uh, your door. I had one of those, like, too, but it was too tall. <laughs> so I needed to jump off a chair, so I did it lower. Listen, the dunk contest, again, go back 20 years, it was great because you had the stars do it. Yeah. When the stars do the home run derby, it's awesome. When you see Josh Hamilton, Aaron Judge, Harper, Stanton, right now they're all saying they're not going to do it in D.C. except Harper, and that's disappointing. I want Stanton out there and Judge to defend his title. That's what fans want to see. Yeah. And I think baseball needs to do a better job, and basketball, of getting the people the fans want to see in position to be seen. And then we would not be discussing the fact that it's not exciting to watch anymore. All right, how about you have to hear it? Because there was a big UFC fight over the weekend. You had to hear what happened there. You have to hear it. Listen to DC. There's a guy that I've known for a long time. He's a wrestler. He's an All-American. He's a former UFC champion. I never thought I would fight him. But Brock Lesnar, get your ass in here. All right, so that's Comier after he won in stunning fashion. Just took it to Stipe, like, in quickly. 
This the only thing I didn't like about this is it felt a little bit too much like WWE. I was just gonna say, where's you know? Hulk Hogan? Right, exactly. Like bring <laughs> him out. Like I love. Like I get it promoting it. Dana White's got to love it because this fight will bring in a huge payday for both these guys. But to me, it just felt a little bit too much like WWE. And I think the USC has to be careful of that. Look, everybody realizes it's real when you see that real blood that spilled. But I think they do have to be careful that they don't get lumped into that. You know, same branding of WWE, where it's a little bit. It depends what they want, though, because the WWE is quite a brand, right? It's worth a lot of money. People pay to see it. So Dana White's thinking to himself, "I've got to make good on what what this UFC is worth, and maybe it will turn cartoonish." Yeah. But by the way, give the people what they want. Yeah, we're gonna find out. We're gonna get uh, Brian Campbell later in the show. He's our uh, combat sports writer for CBS Sports. He's gonna break all that down. I love that. Combat. Yeah, right. That's that's what it looks like too. Um, Let's get to some read and react. Read and react. All right, David, I'm going to give you a headline from CBSSports.com. You give me your reaction, all right? Okay. All right, Lane Johnson, not a fan of the NFL PED policy of, quote, snitching. Uh, so there was a report by Mike Florio talked about um, this NFL policy. The management council uh, actually has a secret deal that, that was just really exposed last week. Very secret, I yeah, see. Yeah, <laughs> right, not anymore. <laughs> it's actually in there, but nobody really talked about it, that you could potentially um, – Reduce the length of your suspension uh, by up to 50% if you provided full and complete assistance, basically snitching on other guys that are taking PEDs. It's called whistleblowing. It's in every <laughs> single business. It's how Wall Street gets taken down. It's what they count on when you're looking for steroid use in any sport, including baseball. You want to promote the possibility of people becoming sort of – Inside snitches. I'm in. The thing that's funny about Lane Johnson, he's tested positive twice. So he's kind of like, <laughs> he obviously hasn't snitched because I think he had a 10 game suspension uh, a couple years ago. But when you look at this, I look, there's very much a culture, especially in the NFL locker rooms of, you know, snitches get stitches. Like you don't rat on your guys. But when you see bigger dollars at stake, when you could pretend, like, let's take Julian Edelman. I'm suggesting he would, you know, snitch or anything, but he's got a four-game suspension. He may. cost him millions of dollars. And he's not rich. get that reduced exactly by a couple games, that's significant money you're talking about. Um, but do you think it worked at all in baseball? Like, do you think, cause I, to me, if I was, see, that's the thing. You're talking about the cheaters snitching. I think you should be looking more towards the guys that are clean. I think those are the guys that if they see things, they would be more likely to tell because they're the ones that are impacted greater. They're trying to do it the right way, and they're having a harder time because they don't have the advantage of PEDs. We think about that a lot with Justin Verlander, who's gone very public about how anti-steroid use and PEDs. Would he, if he saw players doing it, would he say anything? And the answer is he probably wouldn't because he doesn't have anything to lose and he's got his money, and he's able to react publicly. The reason why you go after people who are caught, think about the criminal system. Mm-hmm. When someone's accused of a crime, they're brought in, say, we'll give you immunity. The concept is immunity mm-hmm. because you're trying to save your own ass. Verlander has nothing to save. He's not being accused of anything. Lane Johnson, Edelman, if they're given an opportunity to get some money back and to lower their sentence – some guys are going to do it. Not everyone, but some will do it, which is why you have to have it as a rule that snitches can prosper because you're looking for the one or two guys who will be the snitches. Do so you think it would work at like an anonymous policy, like an anonymous hotline that they gave to the players only where there was no way you would get found out, but if you gave them a tip, you know, they would look into it. Do you think that could work? I think that's what this is. Right. I don't think that we would find out publicly other than your great sources, maybe Jake Plummer would tell you whether or not this person or that person actually was the snitcher. But if Edelman got suspended two games and that was public, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have known that it used to be four. Right. We would just assume it was two. Right. I don't think that it's like you go into the witness protection program. Right. They're not going to let someone get stitches for being a snitch. <laughs> All right. Next headline. Yankees need rotation help with Sonny Gray struggling. I think this is the most obvious headline you've seen. Yeah. (laughs) How do you want me to react? How do you react to the fact that sunrise follows sunset? So would you you have a a match out there? Do you have somebody you think that they should sign? I've been pushing this on the queue nonstop. They have to go big. They have to get after Jacob deGrom. I don't want to see them getting a middling rotation guy like a Hap or a Hamels or one of those guys. I want someone good. The Yankees have a chance to be great and to win another World Series, first one since 09. When you got that chance, you got to go for it. I mean, if you look at what their ERA is, it's just not good enough. And Sonny Gray, can you imagine giving him the ball in a big game in a series against? 
against the Astros. You can't do it. We saw it in prime time a couple weeks ago against the Red Sox, and he absolutely was a disaster. His like stuff it, is light now. Yeah, and you feel I almost feel bad for him because I like in that market. No, but I mean, like, what a player you no, are. No, I am. I, I was like playing in that market specifically. When those mumblings start to get those rumblings, they start to get louder. It it creates a tremendous amount of pressure on some. And I like I feel for him in that. Right. I'm not saying they shouldn't go out and sign another player, uh, but I think to the to your point, like we're going to see one of the most amazing division races coming down the stretch with Love what's it. at stake too of having if you don't if you're the second place team in that division, you're going to have a one game wild card situation. Like you do not want to be the team. It's the greatest league. thing about the baseball new system right now that one of the Red Sox or Yankees will be out after. Do you one like game. it? I love it. I think they should do two of three for the wild card. Uh, I actually voted I wanted two of three as well until the one happened and I saw how it was yeah. and then I loved it. Right, there was the was it the first year where they had like the t- the minute by minute outcomes? Do you remember that? I think it was Tampa Bay and some and there was like Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. If someone was in the playoffs, it was when yes. Tampa, they made it, then yes. they weren't gonna make it. Yeah. It was very cool. Just think about March Madness. Why is that so exciting? The NFL playoffs. Yeah. Why is it exciting? Because one and done. One and home. done. Yeah. And in baseball, it's very strange because if you th- go up against a really hot pitcher. All right. So, uh, done. yeah, I like it. All right. Let's do some overreaction, proper reaction. All okay. right. So I think this, I think uh, in our business, we always overreact, right? Especially on this side. I think it plays better. I try to reason. I try to like fancy myself somebody reasonable who can take the reasonable approach. But we're going to see what we can get out of you. All right. <laughs> so the first one, Luke Walton might have a chance to connect with LeBron James. Is that the overreaction or proper reaction? So he sat down with Ty Lue, and um, Ty Lue sat down with Luke Walton and Brian Shaw at dinner on Monday. Ty Lue said he'll chat with Lakers coach Walton and assistant. Wait, wait, I'm rereading that. Sorry about that. So we had a Ty Lue had a quote with the LA Times. I just told them LeBron's easy. Lue said people get this whole thing built up like he's hard to coach. It's not. LeBron's not the problem. It's the outside tension that's the problem. Just put added pressure immediately on the coaches, on his teammates. Now everything you do is under a microscope. So it's going to be a totally different change for the Lakers. They'll be able to handle it. Luke Walton connecting with LeBron James. Do you think it's, a, do you think he will? It's completely absurd. That whole quote by Lou makes <laughs> yes. me laugh. Here's how Lou coaches LeBron James. All right, LeBron. <laughs> Get in the game, stay in the oh, game, Abron, and LA Bron, and tell me what plays we're running. Right, right. Pull out the ball. That's it. And LeBron coaches himself, and he deserves that right, and he can do that. I would like to see LeBron with Phil Jackson, what that would be like. But with Luke Walton, you think that Luke Walton's going to get a, a leg up on LeBron James, and you think Luke Walton needs Ty Lou to tell him how it's going to be? <laughs> Here's how it's going to be. We're going to get to training camp, and we've got LeBron James. If we don't surround him with better players, we're the damn Cleveland Cavaliers. Right. So we better do something. Magic better do something, or else that's the issue Luke's going to have. And, see, I think the I think the Luke Walton aspect of this has been completely overlooked. They were drafted in the same class, which is nuts to me. There's a great photo of them wearing, like, baggy jeans when those were in, and they look like totally different stages of their life. The thing that's different... One, you played in Cleveland, a little bit smaller market, but you had LeBron. The LeBron effect gave them a lot of attention, a lot of headlines across the. Mm-hmm. But you also played in the Eastern Conference, where if you had rough patches, you still were able to kind of keep your status in the playoff form. Like they were still going to be a top three or four seed. Now they're in the Western Conference. Now they're playing in LA. It's going to be much tougher. If they go through a rough patch, and with this roster, they're going to be on the cusp of missing the playoffs, I think. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden that media pressure is going to be magnified. And then, like LeBron, is, it's human nature. Like, he's not going to accept the blame. He's not going to say it's not my fault. So you're going to start looking around, and one of those fingers is going to be pointing at Luke Walton. Five of those fingers (laughs) will be pointing at Luke Walton. But think about from LeBron's standpoint. Here's what he gets by going west. He gets to be his wife's happy, his kids are happy. He gets his entertainment world right up close, unlike Cleveland. And then he gets to say, hey, I beat the Warriors to get to my ninth straight finals. Or if he doesn't, he gets to say, hey, I was in the same conference as the Warriors. What what could I do? I was. Uh, how could a donkey win the Kentucky Derby? He can't <laughs> right. do it. I had no one around me. Right. In the Eastern Conference, he had less of an excuse because there were not enough good teams. So he should be able to take a bunch of donkeys to the finish line. But in the Western Conference, he has the ability to say, listen, we just aren't good enough. All right, next one, overreaction. Are you a golfer? Are you a golf fan? 
Uh, I am both. I'm not. I I went to Scotland and I played my first round ever on St Andrews and I birdied the 18th hole. Really, unbelievable. Was that the one that John Van Vandeveld hit it in the thing, the creek? Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. definitely that. I didn't one. know if that was the British. It's if it the was creek there one. Andrews. There it is, is a bridge. The There's a creek. Yeah. I just so don't know about Johnny Vandermeer. <laughs> John Vandeveld, one of the greatest uh, implosions in all of sports. When he uh, he kept trying to hit it out of there, and so he took like a triple, and all he had to do was make a bogey to win the bridge. Ego, totally. Yeah, it was ego. All right, so Tiger and Phil for ten million dollars on the line will be just as exciting now as it would have been ten years ago. Overreaction or proper reaction? It will not be just as exciting. But here's the question: Do they have a sponsor who will pay over ten million dollars? They will. I think they'll be able to pull it. So therefore, they, it's great. So here's why I don't. I don't think it'll be as exciting because I think they genuinely did not like each other 10 years ago. Now they're a little bit more chummy. Old. Like they're in there. Yeah, they're older. They're not as good. They're not at the the prime of their game. Here's where I think if you want to make it really interesting, reduce the number to 1 million and have them put it up. They could both do it. Or make it two million. Whatever the number, By the way, they would agree. For to. Mickelson and Woods, that's called a Saturday right. when the tour's not in session. But if you knew that they were actually coming out of their own pocket, that to me would make it more exciting. And I think this will be typically. This is going to be a made-for-TV event. I think they're going to. And Phil even alluded to this. He said you will hear a lot of comments that you don't hear on regular TV. We both like to talk smack, and we both have fun what we're doing. And the fact this is an official tournament, it's just head-to-head matches. You hear some of the little nuances. I just hope it doesn't feel forced. Like it's going to feel almost like reality television where you know it's scripted, but it's not, it's supposed to be reality. I have a feeling that this will be like that. Do our listeners know about Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King? I'm, well, the Do movie is just out. Oh, the Battle of the, yeah. Battle of yeah. the Sexes with, uh, good. with, uh, Emma Stone. It was yeah. a great movie. So of course it's going to feel forced. Right. Of course it's not going to feel real, but it'll be a little bit like a train wreck. You have to watch it. So people will watch it. I don't think the money is is as much an issue because they already know that Tiger Woods has plenty right. of money, Both 50% of less than he used to have. <laughs> Mickelson has plenty of money, 50% less than he would have had with his gambling issues. So they're doing it for the money. We're going to watch it because we're going to want to see it, but we're going to watch it because they're going to have microphones on. Right. And we're going to want to hear what it is that goes on inside the hole, and I think that's the attraction. Yeah, I'll watch it too. All right, soccer. You've been into the World Cup? That's so All right, into then it, I can't You'll be able to get a you. better uh, educated reaction on this one. Brazil choked. Overreaction or proper reaction? Brazil choked. I, I've been in the game. I've been in sports so long. I just, I, I don't, I don't like the word choking. Me neither. Right? Because I don't view it. The, the pressure and stress when you're playing a game like the World Cup or like a World Series game or a Super Bowl, sometimes it's just not your day. Mm-hmm. And soccer, what I'm watching is sometimes it's just not their day and they got outplayed that particular day. Yeah. So when I look at what Brazil's done and look at their finishes, does it mean they choked that they finished sixth versus fourth versus first? In 2002, they had it going, and they rode it to victory. I do not view them as choking. Did they miss a few opportunities? There were a few corner kicks that didn't happen. I love saying corner kicks and penalty <laughs> kicks because it makes it sound like I've been watching soccer my whole life. But for me, I, I just don't like saying athletes choke. All right, so I'm going to give you one up. I'm going to say I didn't like some of the set pieces they had. That's I one of my it. favorite words. No, but to the choke thing, like it's not like they had penalty kick situation and they missed three in a row. Like That, to me, would be a more obvious choke. But I think Belgium played pretty good. Like sometimes you have to tip your cap to the other team and say, you know what? They had a pretty it's good It's hard to do yeah. tip your cap, but it's important. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to some picks and props where I got hot last week. I was 2-0, and I believe, uh, Debo on my World Cup picks. So I need to keep the hot streak alive. And you're going to – we need to have like a column. We do have a column. I think I'm 0-1. Yeah, yes, you are. I lo- By the way, I lost the Zimmerman game at Tigers way back then. That's right. You remember that I can't believe I remember one. that. I got that one right. All right, Debo. So what do we got for picks and props? David remembers David remembers Edwin Jackson versus uh, Zimmerman. Um, but we're going to pick Belgium versus France in the semifinals. We both picked Belgium and France – in the quarterfinals, this one set for Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Who do we have going to the finals for probably the right to take on England? But we'll wait to pick that game till Wednesday. 
I'm a momentum play guy. I feel like I feel like Belgium is the hot team right now. And I've granted France a good one too, but I like like Belgium feels like this team of destiny, so I'm gonna take them. Je crois que France oh. c'est gagné. All right. Sure. France. I'm going right. France. All right. That was We're, French, by the way. I don't know what he said, but I'm gonna I don't know what you said David. either, but it sounded good. <laughs> All right, Danny. Uh me and you, you have not? had long I, I have France as well. All right. Uh we've had long conversations about improving your Twitter personality. And you just threw it all away when the World Cup came around. Um, you've lost some followers over the past couple of weeks, and specifically on Friday with some tweets. The prop I have, over under 500 more followers you lose during the World Cup, which only lasts till Sunday. But you've been firing these out. Uh, and people, the ratio hasn't been good, let me say that. No, I've been getting ratioed. By the way, the LOL athletes uh, tweet was when the goalie, it went right through his hands. I forget what match it was. But you remember the one goal where it literally was almost like an own goal. The goalie could have caught it, went right through his hands and rolled. That was Uruguay-France. That was Uruguay-France. Um, then there was like the couple egregious flopping. The flopping is my biggest problem I with soccer. I can't stand it. How about Neymar? Right. He's the, that's why I've I never said anything like Brazil. it. Could not root for Brazil because of that. I love watching the slow-mo of the soccer players going down after it looks like they got hit in the head. Right. And then you see it on replay and Didn't they're touch not him. even touched. Didn't touch them. And then what's, what bothers me even more is so that's my most vocal criticism of soccer as a flopping is soccer fans getting mad at me for criticizing their sport. I'm like, well, if you can accept that, if you're okay with that, then I don't want to be your friend. Like, you don't have to follow me on Twitter. So I was I'm going to go say over, lose more of them. I'm going to say lose more of just, them. Just that should be your goal. <laughs> exactly. Just to tick off as many people as I can. Time now for your news in 90. Shohei Otani continues to find ways to deliver for the Angels, even with only half of his skill set available. Otani crushed a tie-breaking pinch hit homer in the seventh inning to lift the Angels to a 4-3 win over the Dodgers in their freeway series finale at Angel Stadium on Sunday. In the NBA, the San Antonio Spurs declined to match Kyle Anderson's four-year, $37 million offer sheet with the Memphis Grizzlies. According to reports, the Spurs formally informed the Grizzlies of their decision on Sunday night, shortly before a midnight Eastern deadline. In the final round of a military tribute at Greenbrier 2018, Kevin Na won his second PGA Tour event after a stunning seven-birdie performance. Na's first win had been a long time coming, eight years, in fact, and in the last seven, he hadn't been able to follow it up despite six runner-up finish finishes and a host of other top tens. But it wasn't such a great weekend for Phil Mickelson. Mickelson self-reported a two-stroke penalty for an infraction on the 70, according to reports. Prior to taking his tee shot, Mickelson deliberately stepped on some grass in front of the tee box to help the expected line of his shot. That was your news in 90. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench with Danny Cannella and Rajah Bell. David Sampson filling in for Rajah today. Let's do some UFC talk, but we need some expertise in here, one that David and I are not too strong on. So let's in bring in uh, Brian Campbell. He's our CBS Sports combat writer. You can check him out on Twitter at BCampbellCBS on Twitter. He's the host of uh, In This Corner podcast. Also, my old neighbor coming to us live from Avon, Connecticut, my old stomping grounds. Uh, thanks for joining us, Brian. And you were actually, you weren't in Avon, you were actually in Las Vegas for UFC 226. Uh, I didn't get to watch the fight, but I did see some highlights. I think it was it was pretty surprising as uh, Daniel Cormier was the underdog, but I think it was even more surprising the fashion with which he disposed of Miocic. Uh, what was that reaction like from everybody? Were you as stunned as I was? Yeah, this was absolute shock. And, you know, for all the headlines that spun forward involving Brock Lesnar on Saturday night, which, you know, good business for the UFC, let's not look past what DC actually did. You just nailed it perfectly. Look, Sipe Miocic was on his way to his fourth title defense. He was supposed to be that guy that we were going to cement and say he's the first UFC heavyweight champion who can put together a long reign. Punches and power in both hands, right? A great chin and backbone. DC went in there and knocked out as what he called the baddest man on the planet. If Daniel Cormier was going to win this fight, everybody who predicted it said, okay, it's got to be a long, grinding, five-round wrestling match. Pull Stipe into the deep end. Test his gas tank. No, DC tested his chin. And Danny, this felt a lot like, let's say... Randy Couture 10 years ago, right? In his 40s, moving up in weight, winning that heavyweight title again. Only the sport has evolved and changed so much that this is really one of the biggest victories in UFC history when you consider what was at stake, Cormier's 39, and who he was going up against. 
How does that impact Cormier's legacy? Like, does it stay the same? Does it improve it dramatically? Where does this uh, sit in the overall standpoint of Cormier's legacy? I think the improve dramatically is the correct answer here because if there was one problem with DC coming in, right, he's got that John Jones-sized hole in his ultimate legacy and resume, if you will, outside of going back and beating John Jones finally, which we don't know. We're waiting on John Jones's USADA hearing to find out if he may miss up to two or maybe four years due to suspension. The only way really to fix that hole without beating Jones is doing something this dramatic, going back up and winning a title in a second weight class, joining Conor McGregor as the only fighters to do that simultaneously, to have a belt over each shoulder. DC said coming in, if I win this fight, I'm the greatest fighter in history. I won't go that far. But he certainly entered that conversation, that upper room, that that table of the guys like GSP, Anderson Silva, John Jones, Demetrius Johnson. But, Danny, the key part is this. We're in the USADA era now, where finally we have stringent drug testing. And a lot of these guys, from John Jones to Anderson Silva, have that asterisk. Where you have to ask yourself, was that a one-time mistake, a two-time mistake, or is their whole career under question? Daniel Cormier, he doesn't have those question marks. I think he really removed whatever asterisk he had about his, le- his re- resume and his legacy with that type of performance. I think it's great. This is David Sampson. How are you, Brian? I think it's great. You talk about asterisk because that's UFC is up there with baseball and all the other major sports. And when you think about that, Dana White, UFC, what's your view of the moral dilemma they face? Is there anything that you think that could prevent sort of the continued ascension of the UFC? It's interesting right now. I mean, they've got the TV backbone money coming up on this new deal in 2019 with ESPN where, you know, they're not going anywhere. They're going in the right direction. But if you look at their promotional strategies of the last couple of years, it's becoming more sensationalism. It's not about rankings. It's not about who beats who as much. It's about let's panic and put together the biggest fight we can to move pay-per-view buys. Now, look, it's the fight game, right? It's more entertainment than it is sport in a lot of ways. You can argue every sport is that. But UFC has really taken a hard left turn here from CM Punk to the gluttonous floating of interim titles to even talk right now of Brock Lesnar coming in two years after failing a steroid test with six months to go on his USADA suspension, just being thrown right back into a potential title shot against Daniel Cormier. And we're just going to forget this guy just failed the steroid test before that. He hadn't fought in five years. UFC at this point, it's a little shameless. Look, would other promoters do it? Would guys in boxing do that? Of course they would. It's all about money at the end. But I don't really like the way the UFC's not even hiding it. I mean, guys, Conor McGregor, we're waiting on his uh, court hearing later this month in Brooklyn to find out what his legal issues are from that bus attack at UFC 223. Dana White has said, we're not going to put any sanctions on him. We're not going to discipline him. Really? What does that show <laughs> you guys? What, what can your pay-per-view stars do? They can attack other people? They can take steroids and they'll get put right back into title shots. I think there is a moral dilemma with UFC right now. A little bit of shamelessness, but hey, those, those checks keep cashing. Who am I to argue with, right? I mean, somebody's got to stand on the soapbox. I, it, it, it might as well be me, right? Yeah, they're becoming more and more like the NFL every day with all those dilemmas they have um, off the uh, out of the ring, no doubt. Uh, so you just mentioned Conor McGregor. There's no doubt he was the biggest star in all of UFC. Then he does the Floyd McGregor thing. Hasn't been in the uh, in the ring for a while. You've had John Jones' problem. So how big would Cormier Lesnar be to get some of that star power attention back on UFC? It's massive. I mean, the idea of what this can do as a crossover fight with Lesnar, bringing in that WWE audience with him just being, look, he's a once in a lifetime draw, Brock Lesnar, right? Just a freak of nature, whether he's lost fights or, or failed drug tests or not, right? This guy moves the needle. So uh, DC Lesnar, this could probably contend to try to break the UFC pay-per-view record, which is still Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, too, from 2016 when they moved about 1.6 million pay-per-view buys. You want to talk about a first UFC fight to do 2 million. It could be John Jones versus Brock Lesnar. could be Conor McGregor versus GSP, whatever super fight you can concoct. It could be DC versus Lesnar because you have that big star in attraction coming back, and he's coming back for a title opportunity against Cormier, who really just stamped himself now. At 39, finally, a viable pay-per-view brand in my eyes for as long as he wants to continue fighting. Hey, Brian, can we talk about another combat sport? Because we got a big boxing situation. I got a chance to watch Manny Pacquiao, and it was pretty cool. And right now, he's going to fight Lucas Matisse for the regular middleweight title. Is this one interesting to you at all? It's interesting in a lot of ways, because Pacquiao and Matisse, while certainly past their prime, 
one thing they both do is they bring the action. They don't take a step backwards. They come forward. But Pacquiao's at that real tough spot in his career. He's a guy who's relied on speed and explosiveness for so long. Now he's in that twilight. He's in his late 30s. He's really distracted often from his full-time day job as a senator in the Philippines. We saw him last summer in Australia against Jeff Horn, a fight everybody thought was going to be a walkover. I criticized the promoters for even putting it on. Pacquiao lost that fight. Yeah, it was a disputed decision, but Pacquiao got beat up in that fight. He looked like an old man. Now what is he doing? He's going back in there with another dangerous puncher. Yes, a guy who's also passed his prime in Matisse, but he... Kicked out Freddie Roach, his longtime Hall of Fame trainer who was a father figure to him. Kicked him out of camp with really no explanation for that. Pacquiao, maybe not a guy that, let's say, runs the own steering wheel of his own career. He's not in the front seat of his own career. He lets others make decisions for him. I don't know if this is the right choice going back against such a dangerous opponent. As a fan, you want to see action. This will be fun to see. But Pacquiao is at a very dangerous point in his career where if you don't take a fight like this seriously you could really end up looking up at the lights when all is said and done. Uh, all right, Brian, let's finish it off like we do with all our guests with some superlatives. Uh, let's start it, off, <clears throat> start it off with some boxing. So the most likely reason that the Triple G Canelo fight is called off again will be? Uh, we're looking good now. Don't jinx us right now. I mean, certainly there's going to be very stringent d- drug testing for Canelo Alvarez from here on out because of how that fight fell apart in May. Outside of that, outside of a freak injury that will delay it, we're going to see it. I, I talked to Gennady Golovkin on Saturday in Las Vegas. I've never seen this guy so angry. You know this guy, right? He's got that big cheesy smile. It looks like Alfred E. Newman from the Mad Magazine. I've never seen him this upset. That's a good selling point right now, right? Anger, bitterness. I want to see that fight. Don't jinx it at all, please. <laughs> all right. What's the most likely shape that we see Floyd step into next? I think Floyd... Look, he's made an obscene amount of money, right? In his last three boxing matches, he's made upwards of $650 million, if you believe what he's saying there. It's ridiculous. There's also those rumors that maybe he's not handling that money the right way. Could he come back in like a Conor McGregor boxing rematch or a boxing match against George St. Pierre, the UFC star? Certainly he could. I think we see Floyd one more time in a boxing ring in some sort of circus matchup like this, not against a real contender. I think that whole UFC thing is a big facade to keep himself in the headlines I think we see Floyd Cash in one more time. All right, last one. What's the best Lesnar-Cormier-WWE rivalry comparison you can make? Ooh, that's that's really interesting because these guys actually have history that goes back to their amateur wrestling days. Even though when Lesnar came in and shoved him on Saturday night, it looked really pro wrestling and not in a good way, right? It looked really cheesy and really over the top. I don't know if I have a perfect comparison. I'd love to throw out The Undertaker or throw out so, some comparisons here, but this is interesting. This is interesting. This is not looking good, by the way, for Lesnar in this fight. It'll move a lot of pay-per-view buys, but he's walking into a fight that's going to be hard for him to win. I don't know if there is a good pro wrestling comparison to that one. All right. For all your MMA, boxing, and WWE, you have to go check out Brian on his podcast. It's in this corner. Uh, it's three episodes dropping this week. Make sure you download and subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. Follow him on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. He is the host of In This Corner. Hey, thanks again, Brian. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All, All right. right. Let's move on to some socially relevant. There's nobody more socially relevant than Joel Embiid. Here's just another reason. Socially relevant. All right, so he's got the Undertaker theme music coming out. Doug Barrett, he's back from the dead, like he's coming out. My man loves social media. He, I think he's, I think he is the most proficient tweeter, Instagrammer out there in all of sports. You didn't like it? I'm speechless, <laughs> and that rarely happens. He's supposed to be rising from the dead after the tough playoff loss. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that the theory it. of it? Maybe that's it. Yeah, he's obviously taking the Undertaker, a former WWE star. He's mimicking uh, his music and stuff. So yeah, that's a good question. Is he coming back from the bounce from the playoffs and calling out other dudes? <laughs> but let's finish it off with some topics. Debo, what do you got for us? So the best rivalry in sports probably isn't Lakers Celtics. It definitely isn't. Warriors Cavs it might be Kobe fans versus LeBron fans and one Kobe fan took it so far as saying if anyone vandalizes this LeBron to LA mural that has appeared in Los Angeles he will give them $300 and that's exactly what happened three and six 
is highlighted there in graffiti, LeBron's NBA Finals record. We don't know if the payout happened, but the vandalism did happen. This is dumb to me. Like, look, Terrible. Getting, I get there's a little bit of a rivalry, rivalry between Kobe and LeBron, but if you're a Lakers fan, wouldn't you be excited to see this opera, this player, one of the greatest of all time, coming to join your squad? I don't get it. I simply don't get there's it. There's kids who have seen the Lakers stink for so long. <laughs> they should be in heaven. And for 300 bucks, it looks like they spent more than 300 doing it. That's a bad business deal. <laughs> exactly. Awful business deal. I agree with you guys. I think that's. I think it's so dumb. You You should just be celebrating LeBron at this point. It's too much. Kobe says he's happy though, so that's all that Are we matters. Sure it wasn't Kobe. <laughs> Are we sure? Burner. We've we've known and discovered a lot about NBA burner accounts recently. Yeah, David, uh, Tra- Trevor Bauer, pretty good pitcher, right? This is my favorite story. <laughs> I don't want to waste another second. I want to talk about his nuts. Let's go. We're going to talk about his nuts, believe me. Probably worthy of a long-term deal, but it seems like he's never going to get it because in 2011, after he was drafted, he made a bet with a friend that if he ever signed a long-term, even a multi-year deal, his friend would get to shoot him in the nuts with a paintball gun from 10 feet away. That I want you guys to quote, name right? your price. <laughs> By the way, Hannah, this sounds like something that you you can realize is not a great plan, right? Like, it's just, why would he do that? He hasn't gotten a multi-year deal before because he hasn't been good enough. This is the first year he's going to have a chance to be good enough to be offered. I can only tell you that if he's offered four years, $60 million, he will take a shot in the nuts from 10 feet. Well, baseball players wear cups, right? You get to wear, do you get to wear a cup while you take the shot? I like, think that's he's going to be naked. Say. The bet is he's going to be naked. Really? I have we no idea. Oh, I was like, come on. That was, I didn't see that written in fine print. That's so funny. <laughs> right? No protection whatsoever. You'd think his friend would let him out of it, right? No chance. <laughs> no chance. It's he's the, make him pay. He will have the opposite. He'll gain followers. Yeah. He'll get some high powered, like super expensive oh belt guys, pellet all gun. All I have to It'll say is I, I played paintball once and although I can't experience what that, that is really, they I hurt. was hit in the face with the, with the paintball once and I thought it was fine. So I feel like he needs to tough Pass it up. Bauer has a bet. It's, it's not, f- hold oh, on. By the way, fine. that's like me telling you yeah. that childbirth exactly. doesn't hurt. Come on. Yeah, you can't comment on that, Hannah. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just saying. I played paintball once. I was terrible at it. And I got hit a lot. And I feel like it's really not that big of a deal. Bauer made another bet that he would not have children either. Totally separate bet. So if he loses this bet, he's guaranteed to win the next bet. So I think maybe we've got a situation. I think so. I think you're right. Picks and props in the future. The last topic of the day. It's not time that we say goodbye to Cristiano Ronaldo's thighs just yet. He's in the planning stages with Facebook to create a 13-episode docu-series that will pay him a hefty $10 million, kind of chump change compared to his actual Real Madrid contract. Danny, I know that you would watch Tom Brady's documentary (laughs) series on Facebook over this, but what would you be more likely to watch? Superlative here, Ronaldo or the Ball family on Facebook? What? This is an easy answer, Danny. Don't let uh, us know. I have a neither because I would rather watch the uh, the new Kristen Cavallari show, which I know Hannah's <gasps> yes! down with me on that one. Just because so I want to see Jay Cutler. I just want to see Jay Cutler's reaction with all these cameras around, a guy who doesn't really like this limelight. I want to see how he reacts. So I'm going with neither of those. Who would you watch? We were actually just talking about the I would yeah. rather watch this blue wall get painted <laughs> than, than watch either one. <laughs> That's Seriously? It. Tom yes. Brady, like step aside, Tom Brady. This is this is the Facebook show that I would want to see. But outside of that, completely, this show with Jay Cutler, I did not watch it. I didn't watch it, Danny. But everybody was talking about it on Twitter last night. They were saying that like Jay Cutler, football garbage, but like Jay Cutler on reality TV is a legend. Really? Yes. Apparently, people were loving him. So we have got to do some homework and go watch that. We can have a watch party. Yeah, for sure. We definitely do. I think that could be huge. With Trevor Bauer. (laughs) Yes. All right. That's a wrap for us. Thanks, David, for filling in for uh, Raja. Pleasure. Raja is back on Wednesday. As always, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Canel and Bell.